to another episode for the podcast, Hopeless Romantic, The Untold History of Ethiopia. I hope you guys are enjoying the conversations and the new season that we kicked off. Uh, let me know what you guys think in the comment section. Uh, but uh, before we get into today's uh, uh, podcast, let's uh, kick it off the right way. Let's gather our thoughts and our minds to do our opening prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, holy, holy, holy is your name, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us together. Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask that you give us wisdom and guide us through these difficult times. We ask that you bring peace to the nation and and comfort to the families who have who have suffered through these uh, hard hardships. We call this in the name of your, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. All right, let's get to it. Um, today, we have a lot of things to talk about. Make sure, again, uh, we're today we're talking about the first chapter of the book and I have to keep saying this every every episode, but make sure to buy my book. If you haven't gotten the book yet, it's on uh, Amazon. Uh, and if you have read the book and you guys like it, make sure to go on Amazon as well. Not just on the podcast, but on Amazon as well. Leave a comment. Uh, let me know if you guys like it, what you guys thought of it. That always helps. Uh, and make sure to follow me on Instagram at dmulina or Twitter at dawitmulina 6 I try to come up with uh, several contents on there. And once again, I have to take a second to thank my patrons who've been supporting me. Honestly, I can't be, uh, I can't do these uh, podcasts and, and the projects that I do without your support. So everyone else who has been supporting me, I really do thank you. And if you, the listener, wants to become a, a supporter and a patron, you can do so by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash Dawit Muluna, D-A-W-I-T-M-U-L-U-N-E-H. All right. Um, so we finally got through the introduction, and today is the first day we're going to talk about uh, the first chapter of the book. So, you know, the, the first three chapters or the, the first three episodes were dedicated to the introduction, how I wrote the book, what I was going through at the time of writing the book. But today is essentially the first day we're going to actually talk about the book, right? So um, if you haven't gotten the book yet, there are going to be spoilers, you know, uh, but here we go. Um, the first chapter is titled Finding the One. Finding the One. One of the things that I've been told is, like, people really, what they enjoy about my book, this one, and I Need Answers, the previous one, is the titles. And I think... You know, I really do take a long time to come up with the right title, right? Because the title will tell you everything you need to know about that chapter. So finding the one, of course, as I've been saying in the past previous episodes, the book is written through the metaphor of love, like the love of uh, that exists between a husband and a wife. And I'm essentially kicking off the book in the first chapter saying, I'm ready for my love. And... And finding the one, of course, is like, you know, finding the right one. Like, I always thought about this as a kid. Like, I was a weird kid. And I always would visualize, like, what would my wife look like? When would I meet her? Like, how would she act, right? And for me, I, I count myself to be, I consider myself to be blessed because I had my parents' uh, marriage to serve uh, as a model for me for what a good marriage looks like. You know, my parents have been married over 30, 35 years or so, um, about 35 years. And um, they are like my I, my idea when I think about a marriage, 
I think about their marriage. Like in previous places and previous platforms, when I give a sermon on marriage, I often think about them, right? And for the book, for the uh, purposes of the book, this is a reoccurring theme in the book. Again, I'm using the love between a husband and a wife as a metaphor for Ethiopia. So I'm, again, I'm saying like my real love is Ethiopia, but there's a reason why I'm using this metaphor of a marriage to talk about Ethiopia. Because even though I'm saying I'm in love with Ethiopia, I'm approaching the history of Ethiopia like our parents. I like I I, I mean I'm not I should say approaching the history of Ethiopia like how our parents retell the history of Ethiopia. You know this like overtly patriotic sentiment. So it, you know like Ethiopia is awesome because we're Ethiopians attitude, right? Like no, we're better than everybody else's attitude. No 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 no. When I'm when I'm talking about like the the love that I have for Ethiopia, I'm recognizing just like a marriage, there are these good aspects where you know you're in good mood, and then there are the not so good aspects where the husband and the wife bicker. But even the bickering is is part of the marriage. It's within the ingredients that helps the marriage grow. Right. Like you can't really have a strong and a lot of especially married people that have gone through it, that have really fought. And they say that those fights, those hardships bring them closer together. Right. So for me, the reason why I'm specifically using the love between a husband and a marriage is because as I recount and retell the history of Ethiopia, it enables me to address these difficult periods within the history like the fights, the division of Ethiopia, and I don't ignore it. Again, no doubt there's been ethnic tensions in the past. So those dark times shouldn't, but again, just like in a marriage when, you know, uh, a husband and a wife fight, that fight doesn't define their relationship, right? What defines their relationship is the entire relationship. And you have to, in order to judge someone's marriage, you have to look at the, its entirety. The same way when you judge the history of Ethiopia, you have to judge it in its entirety. You can't just take one aspect, one element from there and, and, and say, look, you know, in this year there was an ethnic feud, so the entire history is horrible. You know, and, and unfortunately this is kind of the, the attitude that... Um, that some people have. But like I said, for me, uh, I grew up when it comes to love, having this romanticized idea of what it was. And, and it wasn't just in the aspect of my future endeavors of becoming a husband that I would think this way, but it was about like all aspects as well. Um, and in this story, in the book, I share how I first became, uh, uh, introduced to this magical place called America uh, from my babysitter named Ababa. I talk about this. And the story is compelling, and it's a true story. And uh, essentially, when I was a young kid, um, she once talked about her sister, and I didn't know my babysitter had a sister. And when I asked her like where her sister was, she said that she was in America. And that one day she was going to 
go to America. And not only her, but that we all were going to go to America. And this America was a this magical land, a magical place. Well, sadly, I found out later on that her sister was dead. And what she was referring to America was actually the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, I never really thought about it. But, you know, the question I ask is why use America as a metaphor for the kingdom of heaven? And the obvious answer is, well, you're a kid and, you know, I was probably, what, six or seven at the time. And she's not going to sit me down and say, you know, there's this thing called death and people die and it's a dark thing and sucks. Like, obviously, you're not going to say that as a seven year old kid. So she did her best to protect me from what she thought may be not appropriate for a child. Granted. But my question is, why is America chosen to serve as the metaphor for the kingdom of heaven? Why not other parts of Africa? Why not other parts of Ethiopia? Why not other parts of the world for that matter? Right? Why not South America? Why is America the go-to place for the metaphor of the kingdom of heaven? This is something to think about. And, and what my babysitter did back then I believe it's not something that is um, solely like a, a characteristic of my babysitter, but I think it's something that we all do, uh, especially by all, I mean, like us Ethiopians. We have this romanticized idea of America. Uh, think about Yamerika Chika, right? Um, I grew up thinking that like literally the the mud of, of 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 like the Americans was different than the mud that we have in Africa right but yeah America was like clay some people told me it was snow i grew up thinking it was clay whatever the case is we have this these ideas of mythical you know legendary tales about america and and it's unfortunate because on the other spectrum americans glorify themselves in other words, like we're telling Americans, you guys are awesome. You guys are great. You guys are amazing. And they tell us, yes, this is correct. We are amazing. We are awesome. Yes. Yes, this is true. This is a fact. And I think these like two, like, you know, these two ideas, like on the one spectrum, we're, we're out here saying America's great. On the other idea is a, a spectrum. Americans are like, no, no, we're, we are pretty awesome. Um, I think it, it, it led Americans to have a very narrow view of the world because it's not just Ethiopians, right? Like even other parts of the world, like they turn to America and they give it the status of being like the greatest country in the world. And in the book, I share a map, an image of a map, like similar to the one that uh, my um, undergraduate geography teacher shared with us. Essentially, it's a map according to Americans. And it has like U.S. being the biggest country and, you know, other countries having stereotypical descriptions. For example, like South America, it's labeled where coffee comes from. Australia is labeled like, you know, kangaroos, but... I, what was the most intriguing thing to, for me, as you know, I can recall from my undergraduate days was like there was like the image of Africa was missing on the map. Like there was no image of Africa. 
And the satire is like, according to Americans, Africa doesn't even exist. It's not meant to be in the conversation. And again, while we're telling America they're they're awesome, uh, they are telling us we're not awesome, right? They're saying Africa is nothing. Africa Africa is a s h i t whole country, right? That's what they're saying. Um, and this is not just like a selected view, but uh, I mean, there's there's many many works in, in this area about this wrong mindset about um, Africa as a whole and even Ethiopia specifically. So the other, again, there's so many sides to this, but like the other side is, okay, so we tell America they're, they're great. They tell us, yes, we're great. They tell us we are horrible. And then we tell ourselves like we're not awesome either. You know what I mean? Like we say negative things about ourselves and think about some of the the statements we make as a society. Like we say things like, you know, when you get in a fight, especially this is more so true with our parents' generation, but they would say something like, oh my goodness, he still thinks like an African, you know? And my thing is like, why, why is that a bad thing? Like, why is it a bad thing to think like an African? First of all, what does that even mean? And if that person does think like an African, great. Like, that's a good thing, right? But we use terms like FOB, you know, fresh off the boat in a pejorative sense. Like, ah, you know, like, and this is true for the younger crowd. Ah, you know, like, he's such a FOB, ha, 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 right? And we make fun of people as if being more American is a is a, a state to desire. It's something that you want to be. You want to dress like the American, walk like the American, act like American. And if you don't do that, you're an FOB. We make fun of people's accents and, and an ability to, to to speak the English language accor- accordingly, like, like the those who are born here. And we use accents as a measure of intelligence. I mean especially for the diaspora that is Ethiopians living outside of Ethiopia, there seems to be this resistance to being proud of their heritage and their country, like this desire just to be Americanized. And growing up, I remember like, you know, if we were in public, like we did not want our parents speaking to us in Amharic. Like it was an embarrassing thing. We wanted so bad to be accepted by Americans as one of them. And I get like, depending on where you grew up, if you grew up around white neighborhoods, you wanted to be as white as possible. If you grew up around African-American neighborhoods, you wanted to be black. You you were one of the black guys, uh, one of the black gals, right? So like that was kind of the attitude that we had. And I think a lot of people still have. Of course, things are somewhat different now with the recent conflict in Ethiopia, right? You see all these people posting flags of Ethiopia, people saying they're proud. But and I know this this comment is going to get me in trouble, but, you know, I, I like controversy. So my question for all of you brothers and sisters who've been posting about the Ethiopian flag and saying that you're proud to be an Ethiopian, like, what are you really proud of? Like, what are you proud of? Don't get me wrong. I'm proud, too. I, like, this is why I wrote a book. 
But I'm asking you, what are you proud of? Like, being proud of it to be an Ethiopian has to mean more than doing Eskastan, eating injera, and, 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 you know, talking about Teddy Afro. Like, there has got to be more to it than being an Ethiopian. Like, it means knowing your heritage. It means knowing your history. And even, like, a few selected people who claim to know the history of Ethiopia and, and people who talk about the history, they'll say things like, Ethiopia is a historical land. Even in the Old Testament, an Ethiopian queen visited King Solomon and her son meaningly brought the Ark of the Covenant to Ethiopia. Like, wow. Yeah, that person knows their history. And and, and then they were like, but there's more. Ethiopia is home to the piece of the cross that Christ was crucified on. Yeah, and, and, and that King Laliwa-like character, he, he built really cool churches and and yeah, like Minilik is awesome and Adawa. Yeah, this is our history. And I promise you, like 98% of, of people, and this is not just the diaspora, even people who grew up in Ethiopia, if you really press them on their history, this is kind of where their knowledge of Ethiopia kind of stops. Like there's not much more to say other than that, right? This is kind of the circle. And actually in the book, I make it a point not to talk about these things because they're so ubiquitous. You find them everywhere. So I'm like, no, 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 no. There's the untold history of Ethiopia, right? So I'm going to expose you to things that you rarely hear about. And so here's the point. Like, all these historical events, like, yes, we ought to be proud of them. They're, they're, they're events that, that make anyone proud, but surely we have more to our history than these, like, four or five events that are repeated over and over again. It's important to be proud of your country. Of course, all my work is geared towards getting people enthusiastic about their history, but we got to do better than just doing eskasta. And eating injera and posting pictures of that. You've got to dedicate your time to really learn your heritage and your background. Anyway, um, the fact remains. If you were to really press the average diaspora, like I said, their their knowledge is, is somewhat questionable. So, you know, I've been asking, where did this come from? Like, where did this attitude come from of, like, not really knowing their history or even before this war, not really being proud of being an Ethiopian? Like, where where is that attitude coming from, right? And, like, you know, when, when parents would attempt to, to get their kids to be patriotic, you know, the, like, I believe, I believe they had this like we're better than everyone attitude, especially, you know, when parents tell the history of Ethiopia. And I feel like a lot of kids were turned off by that. Like I was right. Like, especially when I would go to the church and then, you know, like these, these people who I thought were old would come in and they'll tell us Ethiopia is great. It's really great. It was as big as Africa. We are great. And I'm like, just leave me alone, man. Like what? Like what? What are you talking about? Just leave me alone. You know, like it's just a turnoff for me. I don't know. Like it never, got like it didn't make sense to me because Ethiopia was poor 
And the reason why we were in America is because obviously we didn't think Ethiopia was so great. That's what I was thinking in my mind back then. Right? And and I believe this this kind of um worldview of like Ethiopia being poor in one sense or or that's you know, Ethiopia is a poor nation now, right? Like I mean like there's a lot of people starving. That's something that we just can't ignore. There's a lot of people dying. Um, and you could say that's because of the political stuff. You could say that's because of the atmosphere. That's because of this and that. The fact remains there are a lot of people who are dying right now because of poverty. Um, and that's been true for quite some time now. And and I think especially when you're you know a teenager and you see that, you don't see a lot of things like that you think you should be proud of. So I think that's the first um, ingredient that causes us to not be so patriotic and, and, and be excited about Ethiopia. But the other factor to this is I believe that, especially, you know, those of us that grew up in Ethiopia, outside of Ethiopia, like we don't hear about Ethiopia in our history classes. As I said in the previous podcast, Ethiopia was compared to one of the greatest empires in the world, the, the, the empire of Rome, Right. So Ethiopia was a, a, a major, major force to be reckoned with. So uh, we have to say that at this time, like we don't hear about Ethiopia in history classes in the West. We hear about Persia. We hear about you know uh, the uh, um, uh, Arab societies. We hear about China. We hear about you know all these things, but we don't hear about. Africa, especially Ethiopia. True story. True story. Uh, I remember in seventh grade, you know, I had one of those history teachers that was very, like, animated. And I remember thinking, like, all right, man, like, this guy, you know, like, whenever he just talks, like, you know, about history, like, if he was talking about a battle, like, he would roll over the floor to describe that someone died, like, he would, you know, run around the room. Like, he was, just, he was just one of those characters. And I remember he was, once, he was retelling the, the Battle of Ottawa. And <laughs> he was like, um, and then the Italians, they came to, to Ethiopia and they lost. To the Ethiopians? They lost Italians? Lost to the Ethiopians? And he just kept repeating it. I'm sitting there like, bro, you need to chill, cuz you, you don't want to smoke. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I, I, there's there's no smoke here. But, I, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I guess you didn't think, like, really, like, that's what the people really think about us, you know? Um, and these are history teachers, right? Teaching other students. So other students have the same worldview now. Um so because uh, Ethiopia is never mentioned in history classes and when they are mentioned, we are ridiculed in this way. I believe that, you know, especially if you grew up in, in, in America or in the West, you just don't have a healthy view of Africa or Ethiopia. Um, and the other thing is, uh, and this is a little bit deeper, but like the more we live in West Western societies, the more we assimilate with its culture. And I believe, like I said, you know, like Americans have this view, we are better than everyone attitude and that Africa is nothing. It's like, you know, just 
a poor nation or a poor continent and, and that's it and the more we assimilate with the culture without even knowing it we adopt those philosophies without even knowing it right there's actually a great book by Franz Fanon, A White Mask, Black Skin, that really, really like captures this this thought. And the book is about how the colonized begins to mimic the colonizer wanting to be like him, hence a white mask, black skin. But uh, I believe this kind of a, a, a different, but kind of the same way what's happening to Ethiopians, right? So we desperately want to be like the the and i don't want to say the white man because some of us have like adopted to the black culture but the the american culture is still an american thing like we forfeit our african heritage and, and, and we do this because we want to be accepted by them so desperately i'll give you the best uh evidence for how we do this think about the way you pronounce your name Think about the way that you pronounce your name. Like, <laughs> I used to do it too growing up. I'll be like, my name is DeWitt. My name is DeWitt. Hey, DeWitt, how are you doing? Yeah. No, 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 no. My name is not DeWitt. My name is Dawit. Muluna. It's not Mulani. It's not Maulana. You know what I'm saying? And you want to make it so Americanized, right? And we all do this. We all do this. My best one is like, you know, uh, Samrawit, Summer Wet, Summer Wet. <laughs> oh, there's some funny folks there. I, I, I could do this all day, right? And like, why? Why are you messing up your name? Look, I'm not saying like, I, I get it. Some names are, are like tough. Like my, my dad's last name is Waldis Adik, you know, like he's just, he, he had a tough life. You know what I'm saying? Like good luck trying to Americanize that, that name. But, and I get it. Like Americans are going to struggle with some of these names, but let them struggle. Like you don't have to go and fix the way they say it, but don't tell them your name in a wrong way. Don't start off mispronouncing your name. Let them mispronounce it and say, no, okay, yeah, that's that's right. So usually what I say is, my name is Dawit Muluna. Uh, um, um, oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Dawit Muluna. Dawit? Sure, yeah, that's fine. Like, at least I did my part, right? Like, so I'm like, I, t I tell them their name. If they can't pronounce it, I'm not going to be a jerk. I'll be like, no, you're ruining my heritage. Like, no, you don't need to do that. But at least tell them your name the right way. Don't ruin it. Don't start off ruining the name and then go from there. Right? So, uh, for all these reasons. So, again, like, we've adapted to the American culture. We don't hear about it in a history class. We're being told that Africa is this poor nation. And I believe over a period of time, it starts to have an effect on us. And we believe it. Hence, it, it, it gets us to feel ashamed about our heritage. Right? And again, if our idea of being an Ethiopian is just eating injera and doing iskista, we have no solid grounds for why we should be uh, patriotic. We have no sound reason for why we should be proud of our history, our background, our heritage. Do you see how that works? So how do we fix this? We, we fix this by telling the correct version of the history of Ethiopia. 
not by overtly romanticizing it, like, you know, we're better than everyone attitude, but telling, like, the good parts of Ethiopia and letting people know, look, man, we were actually pretty, we, we have a reason to be proud. We're not just saying this. We actually have a reason to be proud. In the book, I talk about the movie Black Panther and, and why it was so popular. As you know, like, villains in Hollywood movies are often portrayed by black people and, and, and you know, the, the good guys are, are never black. Uh, needless to say, this has a psychological effect on it, right? Like, uh, for example, like, the past few years, um, often, like, white women were calling 911 on, on black people for ridiculous things. Um, if you guys maybe heard on YouTube, there was a white woman that called 911 when she saw a black babysitter with white kids. And the kids were like... We're we're fine. That this is our babysitter, and the white lady was like, "No, nah, mm, something is off." Nine one one, and and there was a white woman who called nine one one on uh, a a black boy, um, because she was on a counter, uh, like a uh, uh, some type of like uh, store. She was in a store, and she was on a counter. She was kind of leaning in, and the kid he was walking out, and his backpack uh, touched like her back. Right. And she thought the boy was trying to be sexual and grab her. And, and this is like a 13 year old, like black boy. And she was like, I was sexually harassed. And she called 911. And then the police, she was like, what are you talking about? So they ran the tape back. And, and sure enough, it was his book back that accidentally touched her back. And she claimed he grabbed her, you know. So and, and who can forget the white woman who called 911 on, on a, a, a young black girl on a lemon a lemonade stand, like selling lemonade to, to raise money to go to um, Disney World or whatever the case was, because she didn't have a permit. She didn't have a permit, so we got to, you know. So it's like, it's this perceived idea of danger. There's danger. Black people bring danger because, like, you know, even if you don't, you're not trying to be racist. This is why a lot of white people struggle with the idea of racism. It's like, but I'm not racist. It's like they're not trying to be, but they're being fed ideas of racism throughout the culture, right? Wherever they turn, they're being fed ideas of, of, of racism. Hence, they, they act this way. It comes out. It, it manifests itself in other parts of their life. Well, the movie Black Panther was very successful because it had a black hero. Even for a moment, it helped alleviate this wrong perception of the black people. Um, recently, my brother started a podcast, amazing podcast uh, with his son, Lucas. And, and it's about like life. And my brother is trying to like talk to his eight-year-old son about, you know, tough ideas about life and and it, this past one was very, very powerful. I highly encourage everybody to go and listen to it. But, you know, like he talks about like, okay, what's your idea of a doctor? And he asks his son, my nephew, uh, and like, what's your idea of, of a doctor? Like, what does a doctor look like? And he said, a black woman. A black woman. Why? Because his mom is a doctor. So his idea of like what a doctor is, is a black woman. Of course, that's not true for almost 99% of the world. And my, bro my brother had to kind of tell him that, you know, that's not really true. A lot of people are actually white doctors. So it was hard for him to hear that because he couldn't visualize how this is um, 
the case. So needless to say, when it comes to Africa, especially Ethiopia, like we need a hero. We need a hero. And the way you get a hero is by telling the history of Ethiopia the right way. Once you do that, people could look at it and say, wow, okay, Africans were amazing. Like, Africans did do something. Because there are a lot of people who don't believe that, right? And, and, and again, when I talk about the good, it doesn't mean that we're ignoring the bad. We have to talk about all aspects of history. But we also have to realize that we have to have parts in our history where we can all unify and say, these are things we ought to be proud of. We need a hero and we need it now. With that being said, that concludes today's episode. I hope to see you guys next time. Make sure to buy the book on Amazon. Leave a comment in the comment section. Follow me on Instagram at dmunune or on Twitter at dawitmunune6. And if you want to support to become a patron, you could go on patreon.podbean.com forward slash dawitmunune and you could do that. There.